It's our goal in every service to lift up Christ. Uh, this church uh, fashions itself. We believe ourselves to be Bible-centric. And to define that, it means that it's important to us to use our Bibles. It's important to us that when we come together that our Bibles actually get opened and we use them. And so that's going to happen today. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we turn a bit of a corner in this on the reality of ministry. Now, we've been giving the last few messages been largely... Uh, by nature of the passages evangelistic. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment, uh, but really we're diving into verses 3 through 13. Um, no guarantees on how far we go, but we're going to walk our way through, see what Scripture says, and equip ourselves with the Word of God. Now, let me remind you again, the conversation about Jesus doesn't just happen here from the pulpit. It happens after the service. It happens during the service uh, or during the fellowship time, maybe before service. But I just encourage our church family, let's point one another to Christ, let's edify, let's build up, and let's help people that don't know Him to know Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as we come to this passage, we are looking at a continuance now. Uh, Paul has been making great arguments from chapter 4 forward. You could argue, argue earlier than that. He's been talking about the new covenant, the promise that we have because of Jesus. And in that, he's talked largely about the ministry of reconciliation. But you have the dawning of a new uh, subject, as he mentions in verse 1, the idea of being workers together with him. So what you ought to know this morning is that everybody is on this planet living under a worldview. They're here today perhaps that have a worldview without God and you don't know who he is and uh, you've not yet explored uh, the nature of who God is. Uh, but they're, under that scope, there are all kinds of philosophies and doctrines that people follow that navigate their lives that have different expression. Uh, for us here in this room, this is a gathering together of what the Bible calls saints. A saint in the Bible is someone who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ, someone who's placed their faith in Jesus. And for someone who's placed their faith in Jesus, he changes the scope of your focus. He changes how you view life, and he changes where you get your hope and where you get your purpose and what you're living for. So in chapter 6, verse 1, it's appropriate that he's built upon this ministry of reconciliation. What's that ministry? Everyone in the world needs Jesus is the message. Everyone in the world needs to have their sins eradicated, paid for, so that they can be fit to go to heaven. And the message of reconciliation is that no man can do that by his good works or by his merit or being smart enough. Now, let's just take a moment. Let's be real. All right? So, I, this is one of my favorite, uh, favorite questions when we talk about God and talk about truth, out of all there is to know in the world, how much do you know? Let's, let's broaden it. Out of all there is to know in the world, not only today, but out of all, all there is to know in what man can know from the beginning of man knowing anything, from that history to today, out of all the knowledge there is in the world, how much do you know? And I don't know how you view that, but I think we'd be bragging to be saying 1%, uh, you know, to give a percentage. I mean, uh, I, I, it's not really hard to prove how dumb we are. We do it every day. <laughs> Is it true? We do it every day, and we find different ways to explore our dumbness. Uh, maybe not you, but okay, it's easier to think about me than me, okay? So I find new ways, it seems, every day. Uh, but here's the thing. You and I need help. 
and you actually don't need help from man. And I think that's one of the problems that we have is that so much of man's philosophy and man's thinking is built on humanism, the idea that somehow man has the great answers for life. And what you know, all you have to do is take a survey of the planet today and you find that mankind is severely messed up. And if you don't see that, I, I don't know what planet you're living on. Um, but I mean, all you have to do is look, at, I, I don't care what scope you look at, education, politics, uh, family life, the way we order society, uh, we're messed up in all kinds of ways. So where is truth? Where is truth? Well, this is the message of reconciliation. Many in this church family know this verse. This John 14, 6, would you say it if you know it? Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You might say, yeah, but how do you know that? Well, let's begin a conversation. Let's talk about that. And I would tell you this. You don't need to be convinced because I'm passionate. You don't need to be convinced because I can be loud. You don't need to be convinced because of what some man says. We have a reasonable faith. And we have reasonable faith built upon the person of Jesus Christ. Well, the message of reconciliation has been offered. And that's largely what the messages before this over the last several weeks have been. But in chapter 6, Paul takes a turn and uses this phrase, we then, as workers together with him, we do this. And it's what's happened in the first part of this, this service. We beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Talked about this last week. And to receive it in vain is to e either ignore the invitation of salvation or to change the message of salvation to be what you want it to be. And I want to remind you that when you change it to be what you want it to be, you're again building your life off of humanism and humanistic uh, philosophy is the idea that I can create my own way to heaven. We've already given you at least one verse where Jesus says, he is the way. So don't receive the grace of God in vain. Receive it in truth. Where God makes the offer for you to be saved, will you come to Jesus? But verse 2, he says, I have heard thee in an accepted time, and in the day of salvation have I succored or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, or the appropriate, or the right time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All right, last week, the great call. Will you be saved? When's the right time to be saved? As soon as you know you need to be. Amen. Would you like to avoid trouble? Would you like to be rescued from trouble? Would you? I mean, you wouldn't just invite it into your door. We know, I, I know this. It's true. How many of you have a, a spouse that when you're driving, they help you? I've said it before. It's amazing how fast and rapidly my wife can say my name. It's like, tip, 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 tip. I mean, that's half speed what she can do. And that's usually an indicator that she's nervous and that I ought to be paying attention. Uh, some of you know that I was in an accident. Well, it would have been good to have her next to me saying, J -j 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 <laughs> right? Uh, that would have been maybe good to hear at that time. Here's the thing. We need help. God has stepped in to provide that help. So, worldview, worldview. This message today is largely built upon those who have been reconciled to God. So with that worldview in mind, Paul recognizes we as believers are workers together with God doing something in the world. 
And what we are doing is trying to point others so that they can know Jesus. Point them to a rescue. Point them to impending, point them to a rescue to the impending danger that they are in. The doctrine of the Bible is that the world is lost and going to hell without a savior. That is the doctrine of the Bible. That's not man-made up theology. It's in the word of God in front of you if you have a Bible. And all you have to do is read it. To deny it is to change the truth of what God has said. And to put your confidence in man, I'm going to again say it. Why would you believe what man has to say? You need to be careful about what you build your life and truth upon. God has given light to the world through the person of Jesus. He's pointed the way of salvation. The accepted time to come to know him is right now. But Paul says, we are ministers or workers together with him. And now in verse 3 to the point of the message today. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now in this message this morning, the reality of ministry is this. Now, For those that aren't saved, I I do hope that you will take time to try to understand what we're saying or what I'm saying from the Bible. But believers, I also want you to take a moment here and understand that this message is applicable to your life and to you as a worker, as God would call you, a worker for God or a worker for Christ, to use the language of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, an ambassador for Jesus. So what you're going to find is you cannot get away from the fact that your life has an impact on others around you. Your life as a believer is an incredibly important life. Had a meeting with someone this week and we were talking about internship and what I said to them is that God has called you to be a leader because the light is on. That is, they have come to Christ as their Savior. They know Christ as their Savior. They've come to the one who is light. And now they bear witness of that light. God has called every Christian to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, but a disciple maker for Jesus where we point others to Christ. We are workers together with God in this ministry. Now, The nature of that, as he says in verse 3, he says in his life, giving no offense in anything. Why? It's in your Bible. What's it say? Giving no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. So the idea of offense is stumbling block. No offense, Beth. But that's the illustration, right? We were talking about, you know, isn't it, isn't it funny how right in your own home you can injure yourself? Right in your own home. I would challenge you never come to my house and walk through my garage without prayer, supplication, and the lights on. <laughs> uh, that could be a death trap. Why? Because it's easy, it's easy to stumble in life. And especially as we talk about this spiritually, it's easy to stumble in life. The Bible teaches that most people are stumbling. Most people don't understand the gospel. Most people have either ignored their need of a savior or have created their own way outside of God's plan and they are stumbling. But Paul says in his life, he doesn't want to be an occasion for people stumbling over the gospel. So here's the point, your life matters to the world around you. The way you live your life matters to the world around you. I I am going to say, again, very pointedly, 
Our marriages in this church need to be solid marriages that glorify God. Amen? Why? They actually reflect back to Jesus. They do. It's not just about you two getting along. It's about Jesus. Regardless, or or I should say, never mind the fact that marriage is a picture of the gospel. But your testimony matters. The way you live your life in this world matters. Here's the idea. Nobody should look at our lives, scratch their head and say, that's what a, a follower of Jesus does? And I will tell you, that this kind of doctrine is not preached very often in churches today because it talks, it's the idea of not living a life of sin. It's it's a corrective message that says, you know, there are things in my life that shouldn't be there that need to be changed. You don't hear those kind of messages today. You hear the messages, come as you are, leave as you were. But Christ changes us. This is built on 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. That means old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new because God gives you a different worldview. He has enlightened you and given the person of the Holy Spirit into your life. Doctrinally, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit actually moves into the body of the, re- of the redeemed. He makes you new. Paul says, in my life, I then am making a pointed principle that I do not want to be a stumbling block. And here's why, that the ministry be not blamed. Blamed simply means to find fault. It also has another phrase that's associated with it. To find fault or to, the next word is to mock. So let me ask you, are there, are there preachers out there that are giving occasion to mock the gospel? Absolutely. Are there preachers out there that are making merchandise of God's people? Absolutely. Are there people that are misrepresenting who Jesus is by their lives and it causes a shame on the name of Christ? Yes. Now, I've mentioned preachers, but isn't it true that there are believers who are doing the same? And he's saying in his life, this is a principle I've made. I need to know that my life for the gospel's sake matters because the world is looking at my life and my testimony of the gospel is imperative to a lost and dying world around me. This is not living a good life so that you can go to heaven. This is not living a good life so that you can measure yourself by somebody else and say you're better than them. This isn't a measuring of your life to say that I'm more godly than somebody else is. It's a measuring of your life after the person of Jesus Christ so that we can point others to the Savior. So he gives no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in verse 4 and following, he gives a list of things that are hard things that Christians go through. And I'm going to argue that in this, I think it applies to the scope of life that you are in. But know this, that much of what we're talking about here is a reflection to a life that is given to ministry and suffering for Jesus. Okay, so in verse 4, would you read, uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and for uh, hope's sake, (laughs) we'll read verses 4 through 11 out loud. Would you read it with me, verse 4? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, reading verses 4, excuse me, 4 through, yep, 4 through 11. All right, let's read together out loud. 
but in all things approving yourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. In verse 4, you have an underscoring of the reality of ministry. He says, but in all things, approving ourselves as the servants, the ministers of God. So folks, listen, um, this is a heart to heart. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't really feel like this is deep theology, but it's at the core of who we are as believers. Our lives, everything that we have, as a believer in hope is bound to Jesus. All the hope that's in front of us is bound to the promises that he's made and the proof of what he's done. So as the risen savior who dies on the cross to pay for our sins, what has he given you? What has he given you? Probably the number one thing that we all say is what? He's given us everlasting life. You and I can't even comprehend all that that means and how big that is, but he's given us this gift, and he says this now, that we are his servants, and in this servanthood, he says, in my life, I am approving, we are approving ourselves as the ministers of God, approving ourselves has the idea of exactly what you think, to prove it, to prove that we are followers of Christ. Now, I am going to tell you that probably the number one thing that's hindering that today in Christianity, it's an ugly word because Christians don't want to be associated with the word, but it's hedonism. And I'm going to define hedonism as the pursuit of pleasure. The pursuit of, I just want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, I just want to kind of lazily go through life and just be, uh, be, be satisfied with uh, ease and pleasure all my life you have got a reality check coming. Because life is not easy for a whole host of reasons. And what we know as Christians is when we go through great difficult things, we have the strength of God to carry us. We have this Savior who loves us. And the world needs that. And here he says in verse 4, in my life, you can't separate the idea of my testimony from the gospel. So much so that in my life, it is a motivating factor to live a life that is avoiding those things that don't look like Jesus, that distract from Jesus, that, that confuse my testimony with Jesus, and instead proving who he is by the way I live my life. 
So again, this is not a matter of salvation to get to heaven. It's a matter of being a servant of Christ, pointing others to him. Now, in this, he gives a lot of descriptive words, and that's what we're going to take time to break down. So in breaking that down, uh, we have, in the beginning of this, patience. Now, as we walk through these, I just want to encourage you that God wants you to stand in ministry. Hello? Believer, God wants you to stand in an active service for God. So this is not my words. This is the Bible. He says, in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God. And he starts with, in much patience. Patience is simply, in other translations, appropriately so, uh, given the word endurance. It is the idea of not quitting. Now listen, folks, there's a lot of reasons that people quit. There's a lot of reasons that people stop serving the Lord. And I'm not here to tell you, I've said it many times, you are not expected. It's It's not my job to tell you what to do anyway. But you're not expected to do everything. You're simply expected to be surrendered to God and do what you can. Amen? And there's freedom in that. But there's also accountability. The accountability is my life needs to be sold out to the service of God. I need to be thinking about how I'm living this life that glorifies him and points others to him. That actually engages in ministry. And sometimes that means not quitting when everything in you wants to. So I texted somebody this morning, somebody who's struggling. And I, I, I simply gave this, you know, praying for you. And said to the spouse of the one struggling, I said, be a fighter. Be a fighter. By the way, Christians, we need some grit. Amen? We need some grit. We need some doggedness that actually gets to the work of God. It is the easiest thing in the world to give up. It's the easiest thing in the world to stop. But I want you to know that when we give up and we stop, it's not simply uh, an apathetic position in life. It means the ministry is hindered. It means the gospel winds up shutting down. And by the way, I understand it. Sometimes you get battle fatigue. I've been going, I've been going, I've been going. And, and I want, I'd be the first to tell you. So let me tell you how I live my life as a pastor. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be rude. It's going to sound rude. I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I, I, pastor Phil knows this. Uh, I do not declare a day off. Because this is what I do on Mondays after Sundays. I'm thinking about what happened yesterday And I just naturally start doing things that relate to church. Why? Because I want to. But I am not opposed to if I've been going, I don't need to get anybody's approval to take time to spend time with my family. I don't need to take, I don't need anybody's approval to say, you know what, you've been going a long time, you better stop, you need to take care of yourself and your family. I I know that to be true, but here's the thing, what I have in view is not Monday, and not Tuesday, and not Wednesday, what I have in view is the long haul. Stay at it. Keep serving, have some endurance to your life. 
have some endurance to keep going when everything else around you is hard or difficult. And that doesn't mean that you just bulldoze your throat. You need the Holy Spirit's power. You need his strengthening. And remember the freedom. You are not called to do everything. You're called to do what you can, but do what you can. The ministry of God is dependent upon his people being the servants he's called them to be. In endurance, it goes on to say in afflictions. Afflictions has the idea simply of trouble, but it has trouble with pressure added to it. How many of you felt pressure in your life? Right? So, (laughs) I haven't had people in my life that have pressure in their lives because some of them are in college. I've often thought, you know, I would do well in college. Guys, right? I would do well in college if they just gave me one thing to do at a time. But that's not how it works. And I don't know why to this day why it doesn't work that way. But they want to ask, how many classes, like, how many classes you got? How many classes, any of you? Six? Five, six? And they all want things at the same time. My daughter is in a degree right now. It's English something. Okay, it's English something. She tells me she's got to read pages, this many pages at least every day. And I look at that and I think, well, children's books, I could do that, you know. <laughs> and I was seriously thinking about changing majors. I had to read that much every day just to stay on top of things. Life is full of pressure. And by the way, someone who's a parent of kids, uh, young people in that situation, um, you know what we often say? What we, we're, we're so comforting. You know what do we say? Get used to it. <laughs> right? You've got pressures in your life. You've got demands from your job, from your family, from life itself. And does life take, uh, does life take it easy on you? In other words, uh, when you've got a lot of pressure, guess what happens? You know what happens to a lot of people? They get sick. Does that make all the pressure in life go away? No. And when you get, when you get married and you get married and you experience marriage, you experience the, the pressures of trying to get along now and, 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 and it's going to be so much easier when you have children. <laughs> I don't like zombie movies, but sometimes I think we know what it's like to feel like one. We, we are in that right now. And I say we, I mean, largely my wife does a lot of this. The last several nights have been up uh, with Joe, who's just been coughing his head off every night to the point where he'll throw up. And, you know, he's got some asthma and stuff going on. So we're like trying to figure it out. But it means up a lot. So she's the last several nights been sleeping in the room with Joe and uh, not me. And the door is shut. So what that looks like in the morning is zombie. Life is full of these pressures. Life is full of these things. The pressures don't go away, but you have a decision to make in those pressures. Are you going to stop being a servant because there's pressure in your life? Now, by the way, I think some of you might think, well, this this seems like a hard message. You're not giving me a way out. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I am giving you away because it's not mine to do. It's God's to do. You're not to do everything. Some of you are living with a man-placed guilt of expectation. Stop it. Just serve God with the strength that you have as he's called you when he tells you. 
But it does mean that there's going to come times where you need to endure. It's going to come times where you're going to face pressures. He goes on to say in necessities. Necessity simply means needs. In other words, we don't, stop, we don't start serving God when there are no longer needs present. We serve God in the middle of our needs while there are still needs going on. By the way, do you think, do you, do you know of people that are, are, are suffering? Do you? What about you when you're, when you're there, when you're suffering? Isn't it true that sometimes when we're suffering, we feel like we're the only ones? Guess what? We're not. We are not. And the freedom, again, is to serve as we can, where we can, but serve. It goes on to say in distresses. Now, distress is an unfortunate word because, again, there's no relief here. Guess what distresses means? It has the idea of Calamity. So let me ask you, Christians, can we serve when there's calamity? I would tell you often, that's when our service is most clearly seen. How many of you have faced calamity in your life? If you haven't, praise God. But calamity is when something kind of catastrophic happens to you. And here's what I want to say. God is faithful even in calamities. His goodness is present even in calamities. But it's often in those calamities that Paul is saying, in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in all these things. You're not called to be me. And you say praise God for that. And I'm not called to be you. But here's what I know. God will use you. And I thank God. For, by the way, let me just encourage you as a church family. Let's take some pressure off of this. And for those of you that are like, man, seems like a lot of pressure. I've got to serve, got to serve. You know, again, serve as God leads. But I want to tell you something about this church. You are a serving church. You are. Many of you are serving in ways that nobody else even knows. But I hear about it. I hear through the grapevine how this person's somehow helping or doing something to magnify Jesus. And, and that's what we're saying. In all of these things, these things are going to come. There's going to be affliction. There's going to be need. There's going to be calamities or distresses. But it doesn't stop there. And listen, this is more appropriately re representing not just going through life, but going through life for the gospel's sake. Listen to what Paul says in verse 5. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, and fastings. Let's go through those things very quickly. Stripes has the idea of being beaten, often the idea with a whip. So the stripes are literal. Why did Paul face stripes? Why? Because of Christ. Are you and I facing stripes because of Christ? Hello? I don't think so. So let me, let me take a moment here and say again, uh, as a reflection back to our veterans, it, it, really, it really drives me nuts. Now, I, I, some of you are going to think this is political. It's not really political. Um, it's just, I'm going to call it truth, and, and I think the doctrine of the Word of God has effect on every area of life. Um, I, I believe it's morally wrong to try to take a way of defense away from people. So what that means is I believe that, I believe that believers ought to have the right to protect themselves, their, their families with guns or whatever thing that they need. I, I think that's true. And by the way, my history on that is I've been broken into, our, our family's been broken into uh, back in Twin Falls. There's a whole story behind that. But I'm reminded of the young man who is in today's political environment called a liberal. 
where he thinks all guns ought to be confiscated and that only police should have them. And I'm then uh, reminded of the conversation between that young man, it happened some time ago, and a World War II veteran. Now, what do you think the opinion of the World War II veteran was? What was his opinion? That the people ought to be able to defend themselves and ought to be able to carry uh, guns to protect themselves. Why? Because he had experience to do so. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, even in our present world, our, our lunacy is this. We don't even understand the illustration that's right in front of us. My understanding, if I have the facts right, is that Ukraine, you know one of the first things that Ukraine did when they were being attacked by Russia? They mandated, because they had taken away, they mandated the arming of their citizens. Here's my point. When you don't have freedom, you understand its value. Translating that illustration to Christianity, you and I have freedom to speak about Jesus. We have freedom here in this country like most countries don't have. Now, let me ask you, how do you think we're doing with that freedom as Americans? Did you know that, that there, are, there are coming out now statistics where there are foreign countries that are sending out more missionaries than the United States? Isn't that hard to believe? Why? I think sometimes we have gotten so used to our freedom that we don't understand the big deal that it is. The freedom to live a life openly for Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be nice to you. In Paul's life, he said, in stripes. He goes on to say, not just stripes. What's he follow it with? It's right there in your Bible, verse 5, stripes and what? And imprisonments. So, is this suffering for Jesus? Yes. In tumults. What are tumults? Tumults is an interesting word. It has the idea of instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, confusion. In other words, when all the life around you, that doesn't make sense. That's not right. Injustice. It's all turmoil. In those things, still proving or living a life of a believer ministering for Christ. In labors, now, here's, here's the truth. <clears throat> Please hear me again. Ready, church family? I am, I'm going to say just as a tangent on this, when it comes to labors, I, I really want to destroy the idea that a church is a good church based on its size. I want to go to a small church because they need me more than any big church. The truth is, as a church grows, it needs servants across the spectrum. So size of church doesn't matter. Here's my point. There is a lot of work to do. Why do what do I mean by that? There is a lot of opportunity in ministry all around you. The, the truth is, if you will learn to serve under the leading of the Holy Spirit, you'll be surprised at the ways that God will use you that you do not even know. And it's a broad, far-reaching ministry. Now, it goes on to say, in watchings. Watchings means sleeplessness. It's the idea of staying awake. 
It's the idea of something is burdening your life, something is keeping you awake at night, and yet we are serving in, in Christ anyway because there are these pressures in our lives. These are, these are realities of ministry. It goes on to say fastings. Fasting is not simply someone deciding to fast. Fasting also has an interpretation of, of having an abstinence from food that is forced upon you. Now, as I read this, I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about things that have been done to him. So, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 4. The reality of ministry is that the work of God needs to move forward. Amen? Hello, folks. If we don't want to be a dead church... If we don't want to be a church that has lost its reason for being here, we've got to make sure that we are engaged in what has called us to. This place needs to be about Jesus. This place needs to be about serving Jesus. And it doesn't just happen in these walls. It happens in your life when you live in this world around you. This world needs your testimony because this world needs reconciled to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, let's just read it out loud together. 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is what? That's important. On your part he is what? So know this. In this passage, you don't have a necessarily... A specific reason for why, <clears throat> excuse me, bad things may be happening to your life. But I want to tell you that I think the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the gospel is so important in the mind of God, in the work of God, that he will totally navigate your life in ways that you did not expect to put you in a place to magnify Jesus in a way that he's called you to magnify him. And what I mean by that, it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be uh, some, some physical thing that happens to you. Could be the loss of finances. Could be the loss of a job. Could be the uprooting of your family to be placed in some place where you never thought you would go. It could be all kinds of things that God does in your life to navigate and put you as a light of Christ to point others to him in that specific place or to that specific person. So in this vein, in First Peter 4, he says, don't think it's some strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. One of the things you need to know is that when some bad thing happens to you, it doesn't mean that God stopped loving you. It doesn't mean that somehow God was in heaven with some Greek Thor mentality waiting to throw some lightning bolt down at you to show you how little you are. 
God cares about you and wants to use you to magnify him and will use the circumstances of the fiery trials in your life to point others to Jesus if you recognize that you are a minister of Jesus. How many of you had bad things happen to you? Is God still good? I'm going to ask it again. Is God still good? Yes. Now, I appreciate the hearty nature in which you say yes. And I understand it. I'm not saying we're all spiritual rocks that never struggle. But I've talked to believers who've had bad things happen. And guess what? There are times where there's questioning and wondering and concern and, and a feeling of oppression. And I don't know why God did this. And here's what I'm trying to convince you of. Don't be surprised when bad things happen. God did not stop loving you. God, through that trial, wants to use you. And not just use you, but walk with you and show you who he is in a different way in your life. Now, I do not speak with the greatest of authority in this room. Others have suffered beyond me. But I will tell you that God has never ceased to be good in my life. God has never, you know, it's often when I pray, I thank the Lord for his kindness. I want to tell you, I, I wholly mean that. I'm so thankful for the kindness of God in my life. So let me, let me, let me just give you a little hoot and holler, Okay. So, and I know I, I, I gets, it gets weary talking about the accident, but you know, I'm going to rejoice over a few things. So, the first thing I'm going to rejoice over is that I got to share this testimony last week. And I may, by the way, we're done in our passage. Uh, we'll pick up there next week. This is a way of wrapping things up. I got to share last week, um, I took several people hunting this, this year. Three of my four girls got deer. And we just finished making jerky last night, praise God. And because uh, jerky is a part of heaven manna, I think. Uh, anyway, the blessing there is that I still recall, I still remember going to the doctor's office. I still remember going to the doctor's office, my orthopedic surgeon, regarding my pelvis. And I remember him giving me very little hope about walking and what that would look like. But then I also remember him saying, uh, I told him about being an archery elk hunter, and of course, that's what I wanted to know. Will I ever be able to do that again? And uh, here's what he said. He said, some people, he did a vertical line. He said, some people, when they have an accident uh, regarding their pelvis, it takes a jaunt out. And he said, and, it, and over time, it has a tendency to, you know, to come back to some normalcy of life. And he said, but yours has gone over here. And he said, you'll likely not be able to do any of those things again, and you'll likely not be able to walk on uneven ground. So this last time I was in the mountains, I'm taking pictures of me being in the mountains. <laughs> and the whole time I'm doing it, I'm saying, praise God, yeah, praise God, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, what, what an awesome thing to be able to be up there again and be able to do that. Now, that's cool. But you know what? In that moment, God could have taken my life like that. But since then, the Lord has allowed me to lead people to him. And I'm so thankful that I'm still here. 
that I get to point people to Jesus, that I get to magnify Christ. So you're like me, (laughs) Um, some of you more so, where some of you hurt every day, but God's grace is sufficient. And God will use you and God can use you. Have some fight in you. Have some grit in you. You're drawing breath. You've been given the good gift of God. You've got life right now. If you know him as your savior, you've been given the greatest gift of all. We have opportunity to serve the king of kings. There will be difficult times in ministry. Now, let me, let me close the message by saying, if your attitude is not corrected by Scripture on the front side, you will be un- emotionally and spiritually unstable on the back side. So if you're walking through life with difficulty, thinking God doesn't love you, and God's being mean to you, you're going to have a bitter look at life because you're believing things about God that are not so. In this room, do you know how many people are facing trouble? Do you know how many people are facing trouble in this room? Everybody. And here's the optimistic news, whether you know it or not. I've said it before, the world screams a need for a savior. Praise God, there is one. And his name is Jesus. Now, believer, you and I have an opportunity to be involved in that work. I don't know everything that that looks like. I don't know what all is even supposed to be for here, right here in this ministry for fellowship. But I know that we are partnered together as a church to do something for God's glory and to serve him. And that's what I want to do. I don't think you want it. I don't think I want it. I don't think we want to come to this place to just have a preacher be a preacher. We actually want to do the work of the ministry. And the tasking of that ministry in the midst of all these things is given by God And for his glory, this verse that we just ended with said, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. Last phrase. But on your part, he is glorified. So God help us to live with that fashion, live with that doctrine in mind. May God use you for his glory.